Good morning, everyone. Anger. Anger. What makes you angry? Uh, for me, <laughs> it's screaming toddlers currently. And, and, and people who do the thing, and I'm not kidding you, this happened to me last night on my way home from church, and this morning on my way to church, people who slow down and turn in front of me without a turn signal. <clears throat> or the ultimate knickers twister when people try to put fruit in my ice cream. The abomination of it. But in, in all sincerity, anger actually does have a destructive power to it. Anger has ripped apart countless families and, and marriages and relationships. Anger can be a, a, a force of absolute cat- catastrophe. Now, Christians um, don't talk about anger enough. I'm convinced of this. We don't talk about anger enough. We avoid it or we pretend like it doesn't really afflict us. We brush it off as a fleeting emotion. We never act angry around like when we come to church, if you're having a really, you've got a lot of anger going on that morning for some reason, we always put on a smiley face. We don't, we hide our anger or um, we think it's dirty and sinful. And so we hide it and try to convince ourselves that we don't struggle with it, which is funny Because in the Bible, there's lots of anger. And guess what? Not all of it is labeled sinful or spoken of as sinful. Um, Did you actually hear just now, just a minute ago, from some of the readings that we heard from the prophet Jeremiah and from the psalm? Let me just remind you of some of these lines. Jeremiah said, but you, O Lord of hosts, who judge righteously, who try the heart and the mind, let me see your retribution upon them. For to you I have committed my cause. Oh, there's some anger in that, right? against injustice and oppressors or the psalmist who said render evil to those who spy on me in your faithfulness destroy them right david is angry because he's got people pursuing him unjustly spying on him so that saul can take his life he's angry and he expresses it boldly before the lord now notice that the verses that follow um don't say and then god said stop being angry it's a sin right doesn't say that does it Here's the thing. God gave us the capacity for anger. And, and so there's a right use of it. When we, when we get angry, ultimately, it's because something is off kilter. Something is out of sorts. Something unjust is happening. There's some kind of disorder that irks us, right? So God gave us the capacity for anger, and there's a right use of it. Um, but like with anything good gift that God gives us, we find sinful ways of using it, right? We use it wrongly, right? Selfishly. Now, if you don't believe me that there's a right use for anger, um, just look at Jesus, okay? Just look at Jesus for a minute. Jesus got angry, okay? He got angry quite a bit, like turning tables upside down, angry. Remember that? Or like, you brood of vipers, angry. Or you are of your father, the devil. Remember that? Yeah, Jesus got angry, and yet he was the sinless and spotless lamb of God. Here's what... uh John Chrysostom, he was a bishop in the fourth century, early church father. Um, here's what he says, said about anger. He said, he who is not angry, whereas he has cause to be, sins. For unreasonable patience is the hotbed of many vices. It fosters negligence and incites not only the wicked, but the good to do wrong. He says, there are situations in which you should be angry and it would be sinful not to be. You and I should be angry at the injustice of things in the world like sex trafficking and abuse, right? And, and, and domestic violence. We should be angry about that, right? 
So here's a question, though, that we have to ask. What is the right use of anger? And, and what is the wrong use of anger? What do those, what do those look like? Well, those are questions we're going to explore today, and James is going to be particularly helpful for us. That's where we're going to kind of hang out today in the passage from the book of James, um, if you want to have it on hand there in your bulletin. So remember, um, James, we've been hearing from him from the, for the last four weeks, and if you've been kind of tuning in and listening to some of the things that James is saying, he's a brother of Jesus, he's a leader in an early church, he's, he oversees a church, and if you're listening to the things that he's saying, you're getting the, the hint that things are not real pretty at his church, right? There are um, people who are showing partiality to the rich and kind of brushing off the poor. There's people who need to go to anger management classes. There's people who like know the Bible back and forth, but they pretend like they don't know it when they go out and live. They don't they don't live it. That And that's like just chapter one. Right. And then he moves on and he, he deals with all these issues. And then the, today what he says, the context is, is what he's been talking about is taming the tongue. Um, in particularly, he says the tongue, who can tame it? It is set on fire by hell itself. Woo! Right? Because the tongue can do damage. That's what he's been talking about. Right? And so um, today what he seems to be dealing with is uh, what he calls selfish ambition, envy, uh, disorder, and wickedness. Right? Which are all, you guessed it, anger problems. Right? They involve anger. Now... Here's James's approach to these issues. He knows that all relationship issues, and there are many in church communities, require wisdom if they're to be dealt with in a godly way, right? You have to have wisdom. And James is going to say, I'm going to talk about two different kinds of wisdom, and this is the context in which I want to think about anger. There's two kinds of wisdom to exercise. So here's what he says. Who is wise in understanding among you? Show by your good life that your works are done with gentleness born of wisdom. He says, you see, if you're really wise, your way of life, you will have a mildness of disposition in how you deal with things. You will be gentle, right? That's true wisdom. It shows itself in gentle works. Uh, In other words, he's saying true wisdom uh, doesn't get easily frazzled when angry, right? It doesn't shoot first and ask questions later, right? It's not that, that's, that's not how it deals with anger. Remember earlier, James said, everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger, right? See, but this is the thing. We like that idea, but it's so difficult in the heat of the moment, right? Okay, everybody who's married in here, who has been married, knows this. It's very difficult in the heat of the moment to slow down and be slow to anger, right? Here, so here's an example, right? Because our default is reactivity, right? And when, the, when our blood starts to warm up and get a little, a little hot because someone said something that we didn't like, our default is reactivity. And, 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 and here's, here's an example of how this works. Let's say, that I swear this is fictional, okay? My, let's say my wife says, hey, you left your dishes dirty in the sink. Um, now, I can respond in one of two ways. I can respond with angry reactivity, right? I can say, don't you have anything better to do than tell me how lazy I am, right? Which she didn't even say I was lazy, right? We always do this. We read things in. We say, we put words in people's mouth. Um, or, right, and that's just reactivity, right? And that's just going to escalate the situation. And she's going to say, well, I didn't call you lazy. I just said, this is the next thing you know, the kids are like spinning on the ceiling fans and the house is on fire and everything's just gone to hell in a handbasket, right? Or I can respond with gentleness born of wisdom, I could say, sorry about that, honey. Let me, let me finish what I'm doing and I'll clean that up, right? 
And then maybe later I sit down and I say, hey, I was a little bit angry about what you said about that, but I understand why you're irritated, right? That's gentleness born of wisdom, right? I hope that I would choose the, the latter if that, if that happened. I'm good about doing my dishes. You see, gentleness born of wisdom, um, it doesn't ignore or repress anger, okay? That's not the biblical model of dealing with anger to ignore it or repress it. It finds a constructive way to deal with it, okay? For James, that's the right use of anger, to be slow and reflective when you're angry, and to work towards peace, okay? Now, there's a wrong use, too. I'm going to combine a couple things that James says here, but um, he says, if you have bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, there will also be disorder and wickedness of every kind. See, he's getting at a heart issue. He says, in your hearts, right? Because sometimes what is showing up on the surface does not actually show what's actually going on in here, Okay? See, we're so quick to respond, um, to act on our anger without looking at the state of what's going on inside of us, right? What's driving me? Do I just, do I just want to get revenge right now? Do I just want to see the downfall of the person who just cut me off in traffic or, or whatever? Or, um, is my anger arising from a real sense of, of justice, of the, the, of a desire for justice, and can I channel it towards a peaceable solution, right? Or let me, let me put myself in the other person's shoes and, and try to think from their perspective. That help, might help me understand why they did what they did to make me angry, right? That's gentleness born of wisdom. See, I think James would, would agree with me here. You can have a heart of war or you can have a heart of peace. Okay? You can have a heart of war or you can have a heart of peace. Because remember what I said? Sometimes we don't show on our, on the surface. We can actually have a heart of war when we're actually not interested in peaceful solutions or reconciliation with, with a person or with a group of people, but we can kind of put the face on like we do. Oh, everything's, yeah, everything's good. You know, I'm glad we sorted this out. But inside we're thinking, oh, you dirty dog. I hope you get a ticket on the way home today, right? That, that's a heart of war. It's actually not really, really, really interested in reconciliation and peace, right? It wants judgment and revenge on the other person. No questions asked. Um, James is dealing with people who have hearts of war, right? This is what he's addressing, and he's saying, if you have bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, there's going to be all kinds of disorder and wickedness, right? When people have hearts of war, it always leads to disorder, right? Even if on the surface we pretend like everything's okay, it's going to lead to a place of disorder. A heart of war... Um, is, is what has what James calls selfish ambition. And the definition really of the word there in the New Testament is a desire to put one's self forward, right? Selfish ambition is to advance my own agenda, even if it means being divisive, right? This is what James is dealing with. A heart of war is primarily concerned with getting one's own way or getting the last word or whatever it is, even if it means being divisive and not finding a peaceful solution, right? That's, that's, that's what it looks like to have a heart of war. Now, here's what James says. He says, such wisdom does not come down from above, right? It's not from God, but is earthly, unspiritual, devilish. It's demonic in most translations. Now, is he just, is he just using hyperbole here and being extreme because he's trying to make a point? No, it's lit. when he says devilish, that's literally true. He's thinking about how Satan had a heart of war, right? He had selfish ambition. That's why he rejected his role as a creature of God who would reign with God and chose to try to put himself over God, right? He wanted more. He wanted more power. Um, he had a heart of war, right? And it led to all kinds of disorder and wickedness, right? 
But James also knows you can have a heart of peace. And he tells us what that looks like, what, to, what it looks like to have wisdom, godly wisdom, if you have a heart of peace. Here's what he says. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield. Oh, we do not like that one. Full of mercy and good fruits without a trace of partiality or hypocrisy. See, you can be angry about something and still seek peace. People who get angry can have a heart of peace, right? But your goal, your intentions are different. What's going on in your heart inside of you is different, right? Than someone who has a heart of war. We we think, um, I'm angry, so I have to get justice, get even, put down the opposition. But we can actually, by God's help, by the work of the Holy Spirit, have a heart of peace even when we're angry. Um, listen to something that St. Paul says. This is in a different reading. We didn't hear from it today. He's in the, in the letter to the Ephesians. He says this. He's talking to a church too, and he says, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, right? Be honest. Speak the truth with your neighbor. For we are members one of another. He's talking to a Christian body, right? We are members one of another. Then he says this, be angry. Not if you get angry, it's okay. Now he says, be angry. It's in the imperative form. Be angry. Then he says this, and do not sin. Be angry and do not sin. See, St. Paul believes it's possible that you can get angry, sometimes should be angry, but not fall into sin. Now, how do you, how do you, how do you become sinful in your anger? How do we fall into sin with our anger? Well, what does Paul say next? He says, do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil, right? Don't let the sun go down on it. That is, don't harbor it. Don't hide it. Don't pretend it's not there. Don't keep it inside as you continue to foster feelings of bitterness and wickedness towards uh, the person or people or whoever has offended you, right? He's saying, don't let it stay in there. Um, here's an example of what this looks like. If you leave anger unattended in your heart, it's, it will become a major infestation. It will become ugly. So the other morning I woke up, uh, early in the morning, went out to the kitchen. And of course, I saw the thing that I really just wanted to see first thing. And I woke up and some ants had figured out how to get in through one of our windows. We left a crumb on the you know counter and they somehow sniffed it out. And um, so I had to clean everything and wipe everything and kill the ants and everything. And we've had to watch it vigilantly ever since then. It was only a few days ago. We're still watching and killing an ant here or there. But we have to watch it vigilantly, vigilantly because if we don't, it's going to get out of control, right? See, it's the same with anger. If you don't deal with it, if you just leave it in here and repress it and tell yourself, ah, I don't need to deal with it, it's going to get out of control. It's going to infest your heart with all kinds of bitterness and ugliness, right? So it's not the case that we shouldn't deal with our anger. Wisdom from above, James says, is, is gentle. It's willing to yield, right? How do you deal with the anger? Well, you listen to other people, right? Um, you, you hear them out. You give, you give up having to have the last word. Right? That willing to yield is, if you, if you practice that, you will find so much peace in your relationships with people that you don't normally get along with. Sometimes just saying, alright, you know, I can yield to that. I can, I can be okay with that, right? That's a spiritual gift to be able to do that. Um, all of this though, this gentleness, the willingness to yield, the having a heart of peace, all of it, um, it displays a person who really has a heart that is set on peace, right? On peacemaking. A person who takes their anger seriously, but with Godly wisdom works toward peace. Um, 
just how this kind of plays out in real life, there's so much practical wisdom here. John Gottman was a researcher at the University of Washington who did lots of, some of you probably know his books, he did lots of research on marriage. And so he spent, I don't know, 20 or 30 years um, watching, uh, I don't know, several hundred couples or something in their marriages and inter- doing extensive interviews and research. And they allowed him to record conversations that they had at home and things like that. And um, his, his research could be summed up as the way to have a successful marriage is to fight well. <laughs> really, he says that it's a myth to think that good marriages don't fight. He said not fighting actually often um, can lead to disaster because what you're doing is you're harboring stuff in here and you're not dealing with it, right? Um, he says actually couples who, who sit down and they learn to fight well and talk about their disagreements and work through them and be able to validate each other in that process and so forth, they have a much higher chance of success. Right? So there's just practical wisdom there for, for life relationships, right? If you have a heart of peace, if you're willing to deal with your anger and sit down and do the hard work of talking with the person, hearing them out, there's so much higher of a chance that peace can be found. St. Paul said this um, in the letter to the Romans. He said, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all, right? Now, that's important if possible, he says, right? So far as it depends on you. That is, if you are a Christian, you have the responsibility to do everything in your power to seek peace in the relationship. If the other person says, out of my face, not interested, hate you, you offended me, I'm done, then there's nothing you can do about it, right? There's nothing you can do about it. You have to walk away, right? And that's okay, okay? There's There's no feelings of guilt to have there, right? Um, because there's sometimes it's just going to be impossible. There'll be people who are unwilling to con- confess their wrongs or they're going to be unwilling to budge on their position, right? Now, moving towards the very end of the passage, I just want to talk a little bit about some practical things of dealing with anger. James says um, this, these wonderful words, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. And I believe that we can apply that to how we deal with anger. The right use of anger is the first thing to do is to bring it to God with bold honesty, Right, Just like the psalmist, just like David, just like Jeremiah, the prophets, to bring it to God with bold honesty, not not watered down frustration. Like, don't try to like pretend before God that you're not as angry as you are. Right. He can handle it. Right. Being honest with him. Oh, Lord, bring destruction on them. Right. This is what the psalmist say. He can handle honest anger. Right. And sometimes God will speak to his hearts and he'll say, you need to cool down. Right. You're being irrational about this. Right. And sometimes he'll say, you know what? Your anger at this unjust thing, this unjust system, your anger about the racism that you see in your community, your anger doesn't even compare to mine, right? God knows how to deal with our anger, right? He experiences anger himself at injustice. Now, here's the practical thing about this. James says, cast all your anxiety upon him because he cares for you. Right? God actually cares about us, not just when we're doing well or when we're sick or something like that. He cares about emotions like anger and things like that. We can go to him and deal with and ask him to help us deal with them. He cares for us, right? Um, he's like the, the, the counselor par excellence, right? He's not going to condemn you. He's going to work with you through the things that you bring to him. And here's the thing, the practical thing about this. If you let off your steam honestly before God then you don't have to blow it off on other people, right? God will help you get in control of the anger. God will help you think rationally about the anger, help you reflect on it, and you won't have to blow off your steam on other people. When you feel anger, even when it's deep, deep anger, rage even, it's not the case 
that you have to fix yourself up before you go to God and ask him. You can go to him and say, I'm pretty enraged right now, Lord, and I need your help. God invites that. And where it's possible, he will actually give us the grace to find a way towards peace, where it's possible. Now, in all of this, um, there's a beautiful connection, as there always is, to the gospel of Jesus Christ, to, to what Jesus Christ did on the cross when he died for the sins of the world. You see, as I said a moment ago, God experienced anger, experiences anger. That's a, a very, very biblical idea. It talks about God's wrath towards humanity when he looked out and saw the rebellious state of his creatures who he created good and blessed with everything and saw them ignoring him and suppressing the truth about him and living their own way and idolatry. It says that he is angry, that that angers him, right? But here's the thing. God has a heart of peace. God has a heart of peace, not a heart of war. So what does he do about people who are actually angry at him, right? Remember what what happens when he sends Jesus into the world. He's killed by people who are angry, who don't want his message, right? And what is how does God deal with the anger of the other party? He dies for them. He extends mercy at the cost of his own life. You see, that's the model for us. God's a reconciler. Paul says in the letter to the Colossians, he says, In Jesus, God reconciled all things to himself, making peace by the blood of his cross. Right? He extended his hand to his enemies and said, I'm willing to forgive you. Are you willing to, to take my hand and accept that? Right? See, God has no selfish ambition in the way that he deals with anger. Uh, Paul said in Philippians that um, Jesus, he says, he did not count his equality with God something to grasp at, but he emptied himself, taking the form of a servant. That's the model. That's the model for us. us. And and keep in mind, look, see how God deals with his anger? He doesn't repress it or pretend like he, he ignores it or like it doesn't exist. He does something about it, right? He, he absorbs it into himself on the cross, so that we can have peace with him. Um, just, to, just to, I know I'm beating a dead horse here, but listen to what Paul says, because this is a beautiful and profound passage. He's writing again to the uh, Ephesians, and here's what he says. We were, he's talking to people who are followers of Jesus now, he says, we were by nature, that is because of our sinful nature and our, and our, and our collusion with the rest of the world and their sin and their idolatry, we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Now listen to what he says. Listen to this. This, this, is, this preposition is crucial. But, but, and you see that. Pay attention in the Bible. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. That's the model for us. It teaches us to be forgiving and merciful. Even as we hold on to a sense of justice and right and wrong, we can still be merciful and forgiving. Paul says in another place, the grace of God has appeared, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions. See, the grace of God appeared training us, right? It's only the grace of God 
when it, when it melts your heart, when it takes hold of your heart, and you see that God actually had anger against me and my sin, but what did he do? He died on the cross for me. When that, when that, when that really gets a hold of you and you see that love for you personally, that self-giving love, it, it, it teaches you to renounce the wrong use of anger. It teaches you, he actually heals you of a heart of war and replaces it with a heart of peace. It's amazing. You see what the cross of Jesus does, applies to every area of life. And with wisdom, with godly wisdom, he helps us to embrace our anger, not repress it, but embrace it with a pure and peaceable heart, a heart of peace. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we all, every one of us in this room, uh, knows the power of emotions, and uh, we've all experienced anger, maybe maybe some of us uh, even today already. And uh, Lord, we need your help because you're Lord of all of life and you're Lord of our emotions too. And we know you can heal what needs to be healed. And we know that you can uh, you can bring discipline where we need discipline, and we know that you can bring encouragement and wisdom where we need it in in dealing with things like anger. So we ask, Lord, that as a church community here, we would just all grow in the way that we we deal with anger and the way that we deal with our relationships with one another and that um, our our hearts would be hearts of peace, free of selfish ambition and envy uh, and, and impure motives to promote ourselves and that we would follow the way of your son who did not count his equality with you something to be grasped but gave himself, emptied himself, and became a servant to all. May it be so with us in Jesus' name. Amen.